friends, welcome back to the What She Said Project. I'm Shannon Ivy, Coach Creative, and I am excited to be here doing this Year of Nose Project. It's turning out to be like so awesome. So I'm trying to get 50 no's. I've got a memoir I'm shopping. I've got a university press looking at it right now. Actually, a a couple of presses looking at it right now. And I've got some other essays that I'm shopping around, learning how to do that publishing thing. Uh, but I'm also a person that loves to write a big old grant for a big old community project. And so one of the parts of the year of no's, I'm trying to get 50 no's in a year before my 50th birthday. I'm also trying to have at least 50 interviews with other creatives, thought leaders, activists, advocates, you know, people I would know, people I need to know. Is it you? Do I need to interview you? I would love to. Message me at Shannon at what she said project.com. Okay. So today I have another friend and a guest. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to tell you about Dr. Cynthia Phelps. Ready? Dr. Phelps is a C-Care Stanford ambassador of compassion international speaker, certified mindfulness instructor, and founder of Inner Ally, a trauma-informed company building tools, courses, and mobile apps to improve mental wellness based on the science of self-compassion. That's a bunch of yum. She has extensive experience in learning and behavior change and has been developing mental health tools since 2009. Her background in pharmacology and neuroscience helps her create programs and products for effective health behavior change. Cynthia started Inner Ally after having a profound recovery experience with implementing self-compassion in her own life. And now she teaches and does personal coaching to help others make their own breakthroughs. Inner Ally celebrates the power of creating a kind and supportive inner voice to change your life for the better. Um, heck yes, let's go. I cannot wait to talk to Dr. Cynthia Phelps. First question to you is, when you think about that title I made up, what does it make you think of? Well, uh, part of my life has been lived inside the tech startup world. And there, the culture is very much a, a fail fast culture. And what they mean by that is that not that they uh, celebrate failure, but the faster you can iterate, the faster you can move through the bad ideas move through the solutions that don't work, the shorter your path to getting something that really hits. And oftentimes it's done in the product market fit. Uh, and so when you say like a year of no's, what I think about is like, how do you dismiss the things that are not working? It's reminding me, like, I think our brains can work a little bit similar. Like I was thinking process oriented, do you know, like that? And in the end, that's what I'm doing with my clients. Really. I'm like, we're, we're walking through a process, right. And a part of what the, especially the creative entrepreneur sort of clients, they learn some rejection resilience. Have you heard that term before rejection resilience? Oh, sure. So <laughs> you know who comes to mind is Sarah Blakely from Spanx, 
she had a father who trained her to tell her every, tell him every day something that she failed at, which I just thought was the most brilliant thing. That was their dinner conversation. Can you oh. imagine having grown up with like having to tell your dad something that you failed at that day? Because like you had to be actively trying ridiculous stuff to have to fail every day at something. That's amazing. Dad is a football coach. Conversations in our home, they tended to be, and my dad, if he hears this, I'm not critiquing. Y'all know what I'm about to do. I'm about to like tell the truth. And my family, we don't talk about the failure. We t- we're like, get up fast, Ivy, walk it off. Doesn't hurt. Do you know, I was raised in that sort of family and I'm the firstborn. But I do feel like not enough of us are talking about what it takes to to fail and recover and fail and recover. And how do you even do that? In my family, the it there was definitely an emphasis on if you did fail, like how do you clean it up and how do you let the fewest people know as possible, right? There was no room to fail publicly. Like that mm-hmm. was considered a humiliation and shameful. And so, uh, you know, I like living inside of a culture where there is where it's understood the value of failing at something is really understood. I tend to be a person and I think it's an Enneagram thing. We've discussed Enneagram. You're, you know, your Enneagram. I think I'm an eight, three. Oh, I could see you in both. I could also see you in a little bit of four, but threes are my dearest friend. Andrew is a three and he is like a three all day. Like you want something done well, hand it to Andrew. Like that work. I'm just like, he gets a lot of, um, satisfaction from having good work content eight champions of other people i'm an eight all day every day so a part of what i experience my energy moves things forward i don't know that all people fail as often as i do because i do tend to put things out and put the and it might be a little bit relentless i'm curious about but there's one area in which I have trouble recovering. Do, do you want to know the secret? Yeah. Dating. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I. But do you know, I took that harder than not getting a $200,000 NEA grant two days before. I physically, I know, I physically felt the breakup. Well, what you're describing, the disparity between how we respond to things is is very much related to childhood trauma. <laughs> we're, we're new to this therapy now. I'm sorry, this is a therapy session, Shannon. No. no, at this point, if they've listened to this podcast or known me at all, they'll be like, oh, that makes sense. My therapist will be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably too. So, yeah. so, and it's not just childhood trauma. It's like all of our experiences that have been yeah. challenging in life, right? And so, if if one of those things gets triggered, mm-hmm. then that's where we have some trouble recovering. That's when our nervous system gets thrown out of whack, and we need to use some tools to kind of bring bring the whole system back down. You and I completely agree. I believe that bravery and nervous system. I don't know that you can do your best work with your nervous system, a whack. Oh, definitely not. Like your frontal lobe, your executive planning is not functioning optimally. 
for no matter what kind of stuff that people are going through, whether they're trying to get trying to, and I know you work on healthy habits, um, they're trying to change behaviors in the new year, or maybe they've had job loss, or just like some midlife dissatisfaction. I like dis-ease. It's about, because I know you have tools. I've gotten to know a little bit of them. I've been to one of your inner allies. I've been to several of your inner ally. So tell us more about what kind of tools and stuff you have to work with this self-compassion, this ability to get back up after disappointment. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm most excited about, which I just uh, finished up a program at Stanford where I had a chance to kind of hone this process. And it's a questionnaire that really gets at um, the ways that you uh, have maladaptive thoughts and behaviors. And so it's very, if you're a psychologist out there, it's based on schema therapy which is basically ways that we can categorize how we are responding to the world in a way that's less than ideal based on something that happened to us in the past. Uh, It's not just for people who've had childhood trauma because really everybody has something, you know, that that doesn't go, there's no perfect parent out there, which means that we all are challenged with one thing or another. And so by putting people through this inner ally questionnaire, I can give them their personalized landscape of where they can begin to nurture themselves and really have the biggest impact where they can practice compassionate inner language that is like really customized for them, not only on their profile from the questionnaire, but also with what's happening in their lives currently. And what happens is that people who fill out their questionnaire, they see the scores. And then I say, oh, well, this is what that means. And it's like, does, you know, how does that, does that sound right? And they're like, oh yeah. Then they tell me a story about what's, why, you know, how they're blocked in their life and that, or, you know, how it's causing some kind of uh, suffering for them in the moment even. And so it's this really, uh, I mean, I'm sure you've heard of using positive affirmations, you know, to help motivate you and to help keep you encouraged and that kind of thing. Well, this is kind of like positive affirmations on steroids because it is targeted just for you. And the phrases are more finely tuned than affirmations. So an affirmation is just an I am statement but the here in the compassionate phrases, it may be a may I statement or it may be a statement about giving yourself permission. It really has a much more nuance. And how we work with clients is I ask them about how their inner critic is responding. And then I also ask them how the their custom inner phrases are hitting in their body. Like what kind of body feel are they having? And then we just keep adjusting until we really get something that feels right for them. And it turns out it's like really powerful once, because like you can have a great affirmation, like for instance, I am wealthy and you can say it and it sounds great. You can even write it on your, you know, vision board or whatever. But if your inner critic is like laughing you out of the room, it's not really going to work that well for you. 
one of my favorite stories. Uh, I was working with a woman. She's rather educated. Uh, and she is also an entrepreneur. And so she's owned a business and has been in the field for over 20 years, you know, expert status, basically. Hmm. And one of the things that came up for her was security as one of her core emotional needs that, uh, you know, uh, on the questionnaire that needed to be tended to. And when we chatted, it turned out it was really financial security that she was struggling with. And so we had a little conversation about that. And she's like, yeah, you know, I think I'm undercharging. And she told me what she charged. And I was like, oh, yes, you are. (laughs) And so I said, "Uh, what? I'm like, why don't you double your prices? And boy, woo, the voices, like they just reared up, like they, like the inner judge and everything was just like, can't do that. You know, I just kind of let her go. I'm like, okay. And I was like, all right, I'm going to take notes, right? Because this is data for me. We're going to work on each of these voices. (laughs) And so after uh, she kind of calmed down, I was like, okay, well, all of these uh, voices that all these objections you have, we're going to work with each of them. And so we created some custom phrases for her around this sense of security and uh, around some of these objections that she had. And so the way that it works is I work, meet with people pretty much every week. And so uh, I was like, here, you're going to practice your phrases. I'm like, put them around your house, you know, like put them in your path, write them in your journal, like however you can get them into your brain, put them in your brain. And I was like, I will, I will see you in a week, a week and a half. And, you know, we'll, we'll circle back around three days later, she called me and she said, I've doubled my prices (laughs) three days. I was like, what? She was ready. (laughs) She was, she was ready. Yeah. And she showed up willing to do the work and she really did it. She really dove into that language and started using it with herself. I'm thinking about the timing, like the new year timing and this thing that many of us do to ourselves. We're like, new year's resolutions. The torture of the new year. Yeah. And oh, so there's, this sounds like a way to make change without falling off the cliff of I'm going to drink a gallon of water every day or whatever we tell ourselves we're going to do. Is that what I'm hearing? That this is a process that could well, be more helpful, long lasting. I am a recovered addict, right? Yeah. <laughs> so my expertise is in that arena. And I mm-hmm. actually created this whole system to help myself. Wow. Is what I wish I would have had. And so when you say, you know, the cliff, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is one of the things I think that's so important about behavior change is that if we make these massive, like really harsh behavior changes that are really not even realistic that we stick to it, it can be, it just causes more suffering and sometimes rebound problems, right. Where things get worse than they were to begin with. And so with the inner ally process, one of the things that of people can do is they can really nurture the parts of them 
that are scared, the parts of them that are have been holding themselves back for years from this change that they've been wanting to make because, and it's not logical, right? It's like something that happened to them before. And so they're, they think they're protecting themselves, but in fact, they're holding themselves back. And so this kind of combination of like the experience that I have from when I was faculty and spent about 10 years working like on the science of behavior change and, uh, and applying that to create technology-based solutions with this compassion component that I have which is like, how do we nurture? And like, when I say nurture too, like sometimes I mean fierce compassion, yeah. you know, where you have to get like strict with yourself, like get out of bed. It's time to go to the gym. <laughs> yeah. In the year of no's, a part of what people are talking about and I talk about is uh, bumpers uh, because like in the, in the stuff that I teach, I think of bowling, like I have something I want and it's down there, but I am not a great bowler. Sometimes I need the bumpers, right? To keep me on track. But a part of it is I'm doing that. That's that self-discipline. And I know that word, but that's that support while I'm going toward my goal. And it could be like the wooden kind of bumpers or the soft and squishy type of bumpers. Sometimes I need more because I'll just haul it off that way some days. But still that compassion to like, nope, this is the direction we're going. This is the direction we're going. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. And that can look so many different ways, right? It could be a coach like yourself. It could be a therapist. Uh, you know, I'm going to be teaching this as a uh, training and it's going to be a three month process. And wow. so- that's a, that's a nice chunk of time. If you really want to change a behavior, I'm calling it release the habit, but it's also perfectly fine for forming habits. But what I have found is that usually something needs to be released regardless, even if your goal is to create a new habit. I love that. Okay. Release the habit is a three month training. When does it start? a good question <laughs> like the january. second week in january yeah the second uh thursday of january i believe amazing and it is like a cohort oriented thing so you'll have you will be in a cohort yes and uh there will be so we'll meet once a week and we're just going to just take our time and give ourselves the space and the grace to learn each of the components so it's not like we're putting, you know, we're saying on X date, you have to be ready to, you know, do it all. You know, that is a personal decision mm -hmm. that is up to people who are, you know, you know, your life is your life. And I'm here to support you with this curriculum and with also creating the space, mm. right, where we can support each other, the other people in the training can also be a part of your support system because like we know community is so important to being able to flourish and get what we want out of life yeah. and so that I have been doing um Tuesday night practice sessions and so uh you by the time this comes out, they're going to be over for the year. But I imagine sometime in January, I'm going to be offering something similar to that. And 
those are free. And what it entails is usually I talk about 10 minutes or so on some kind of topic. And then we do an actual guided meditation, mindfulness practice of some sort. And then the rest of it is like conversation about like what showed up for you. And so I imagine we're going to be doing some of those along with this course uh, so that um, people not only have the ability to learn, which is great, right? But it's really all about putting everything into practice. And, uh, you know, I have to tell a funny story because I have academic background, when I first found out about self-compassion, like I immediately knew I had like a clouds parting moment, like, oh, this is going to, this is going to save my life. <laughs> and I immediately knew that. And, and so the first thing I did, I spent like three months reading every research article on self-compassion that existed at the time, which you could do that back then. You couldn't do that now. And uh, it took me to like three months before I was like, oh, I need to practice this for it to work. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, so you gotta awesome. get that practice in there it reminds me of okay a nerdy response in the stages of behavior change there's like what i like about what you're saying is like if you like let's say smoking a lot of people don't know i'm a former smoker a lot of people don't know that uh quit a long time ago but it was like a whole thing it was an off and on thing and it was a problem it's a thing it was a secret we know about secrets and sickness. So when I think about it, there were several times when I would be in pre-contemplation phase. So like folks that are thinking about making the change and then like contemplation phase, I would be like, okay, this time, how am I going to do it? Am I going to just go cold turkey? Or am I going to try this or try that? And then there's like action phase where I'm like in trying it. And so that's what you've been, sounds like what you've been talking about. And folks at any phase of the change, even if they tried a million times and they're like, especially if they've tried a million times, Perfect. because those are the, those are the folks that I think the, the, the key thing that they're missing is there is some emotional component on the inside of them that is not on board right? That they have not attended to properly. And it's not because they didn't know, like they just had no idea. Right. And that's why I'm combining this like detailed questionnaire process and putting that on the front end of the whole training so that they can have that knowledge for themselves and really be targeted to what they really need to nurture within themselves to make themselves successful. So I'm, I'm excited about it. It sounds amazing. I am excited for you. If, if folks want to learn about you, what is the like best way for them to find you? Well, it's easy to find me at innerally.com and that's I-N-N-E-R-A-L-L-Y, like ally, like a friend, inner friend. Uh, and, uh, I also have a Facebook group that's open public called inner allies. So it's just, IES on the end. Uh, that's a great place to hang out. And I already, I advertise my events and all my free stuff in there. And I am always putting quotes and fun stuff in there. And then um, if you want to know more about me professionally, my LinkedIn profile at Cynthia Lynn Phelps is uh, one of the best ways to find me and kind of dig into, if you want to know all the ridiculous number of trainings I've been through. <laughs> 
Oh, which is just making this beautiful cacophony of an offer that you're bringing forth for the new year. I and do oh, feel like it's a bit of a culmination. Yep. It's it's all like a gumbo. There's like way too many metaphors. <laughs> okay. So creative to creative. One last question. What is the art form where you are the most free of the inner critic? Out of all the th creative things you do, and I know you do many, where where is your like home space? You know, hmm. this, uh, well, you might see that we're, this is my office slash art studio, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I'm looking across all my art supplies as I look out. Uh, one might guess that it might be art, but I'll, I'll tell you what it is. It's one-on-one -on -one coaching. I'm not That's even joking. Critic turns off. Yeah, my brain is just on point. It is like an easy flow state for me that I don't think I get in any other way uh, at that magnitude. It's very special. I explain to folks, like if people will ask me, cause they know I'm an introvert, although I don't act like one. And I I'm like- I not know that about you. Deep introvert. I will go complete silent for a while not during a coaching session, but introverts like one-on-one. -on -one. Mm. And so I'm just one-on-oneing. So I don't know if like, that's a part of it. It's just like that beautiful space and time we get with one human to really like listen deeply and to like compassionately hold space for whatever they're working through. Isn't it beautiful? And those spaces are just not that common. No, they're so rare and a good coach match. Yeah. So rare. I do have a coach and a therapist, and both of them have been highly vetted. You may think this is funny. My coach is an older white man who lives in Scotland. I am so excited for you to have this one-on-one -on -one offer. I'm so excited for you to have this offering with all of this. They heard your bio. Like it really makes sense how you've made this. So it is really beautifully a career worthy size of a beautiful offering that you're launching in January. That's just wonderful. I can't wait to hear how it goes. Thank you. And I cannot wait to hear more success stories because there will be hundreds of thousands. I know. Is there anything else we need to know about you today for you to feel complete with our conversation? You know, I am honestly very inspired by your year of no's. And I have been thinking about myself and mm. what a year of no would look like for me. Mm. Uh, as you know, I just completed this training program, which was really pretty intense and one of the things that uh, it, there's just a lot of opportunity in terms of networking and things. And so mm -hmm. I think I'm going to actually take your lead and, and maybe do some no's around networking and really getting my work out there, because mm -hmm. that is one of the places where I'm like, <laughs> sometimes it that can be really scary for me and so I nurture that part of myself but I love the like the 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 no sounds so obstinate and I'm I'm totally on board with that yes 
you said something earlier. You said clouds parted. So this is just curiosity because you're a body-based somatic person too. I am now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you said the clouds parted and you knew. Yeah. Nowadays, when you're looking to like put your work out there or connect with folks, do you have a sense of when you're in the right direction or it's like a, it feels like mutual hospitality? Do you have any like body sense of these moments? You know, I have to say, I still feel like a toddler sometimes when it comes to using my body to help me make decisions. And, And so I... I actually did a a little journey for myself this year, exploring some like this exact idea of like what was in my way to have me not get my work out there to scale my work, that kind of thing, because I know that people benefit from it. Right. Yes. Uh, And so, you know, the message I got from that was all somatic. Like the message came and it came cognitively. Like it was like, you need to trust your body more. (laughs) You need to take care of your body and you need to trust your body and your body needs to be on board with everything you're doing. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Wow. That tells me like lots of exit plans. That's like, do I have, what do I do when my body's like, "Mm -mm." my body does that. My body will be like, and if I don't respond, my body will throw a complete fit. I have a theory about putting our work out there being uh, a way in which we could feel loss, ambiguous loss. Interesting. Right. And so back in the, there was old psychological studies about how human beings, and I think this is like me starting to get to know when I would have too many, like I would have 90 to 150 students in a day. This ambiguous loss theory has not been applied to people who put their work out there yet. Because if you put something out there on the internet, like let's say I advertise, I'm doing a end of the year dream plan, create, do workshop. And I put it out there and no one says anything. Right, (laughs) which happens. (laughs) All the time. So 4,000 people that I'm friends with on Facebook but those people said nothing. And so am I feeling ambiguous loss times of 4,000? That's a really fascinating view of the whole I'm, thing. I'm curious. You know, it reminds me like back to startup culture, which the language is inelegant. Let me just say that. Yeah. But they they call it killing your baby. Yeah. Kill your darlings. I heard is a yeah. Like in, in writing, kill your And I, I think like that's it because you have to throw it out there and you have to see what hits. And that's the, that's terrifying. Yes. And also I think you can begin to, there's a callus. So I'm fascinated by this. Well, it's, here, but right. It's the year of no, this right. is the way to get through it. Exactly what you're doing. And you said fail fast culture, which actually you helped me make a decision because sometimes, and I think it's because of a recent breakup. Sometimes I'm like, I'm a little fonder of squishy today. And then other times I'm like, let's go. There's a strategy. I just implement it. I test it like a tech person, like a scientist. I just test it and work on it. And I just keep at it. I don't just put it up there once and then babysit the internet about it. I think there's something to that. 
I think you're right. For me, I tend to think of it as the um, party drama. Like when you throw a party and like I have all this internal drama before I throw any kind of party. It doesn't matter if it's like a tiny dinner party to like a huge, massive blowout. Like I am totally concerned that no one's going to show up. I have that fear on the inside of me. And so like that's that's part of the the ambiguous law, but it doesn't feel very ambiguous to me. (laughs) Feels real specific. Feels real scary. And then if you put it out there like on all of LinkedIn, you know, Mm -hmm. on all of the internet or on the website, it does feel like we're kind of hanging out there. We are. Well, but here's here's what happens. Uh, You know, like this isn't my first rodeo is that sometimes you throw it out there and you just can't get it to stick. And, and then, you know what, like a couple months later, you realize you're still alive. Nobody died, you know, like (laughs) try again. Like you didn't get the marketing messaging right, or the timing was off or the stars weren't aligned, you know? And so I think this, just like your year of nose, what it is, is it just motivates you in the right way right? You know, it more in like shifting the idea from I have to be successful to I'm going to see how many no's I can collect. It just that mindset shift is brilliant, right? As long as I don't feel like I've betrayed myself and what I'm putting out there, I'm just like saying, this is the best thing I can come up with right now. And I'd love to offer it to you. What do you think? And maybe like not let it near some people because they're going to say no, right? And so it's like, how to get it to the right people and be very smart about it. That sounds like an awful lot, awful lot of like, uh, you know, looking for a job as well. Oh yeah. People who are out there trying to do that. Yeah. Dating, looking for a job, Mm -hmm. um, creative work, partnership work, anything that involves like saying, what do you think about this? I love it. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Well, I'm just absolutely delighted to be here. I just love the work that you're putting out in the world. And I'm happy that I am a guest. Like you're, I think you're number four or five. You said yes very quickly. So thank you for being brave. Putting your no problem in the show notes. We'll have all of the links to everything you're doing. I cannot wait to hear all about it. Please come back in the year of no's. We want to hear how you're doing with your own version. Sound good? I would love to. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the What She Said Project. See you soon. Well, that was delightful. Why are these people so amazing? I know the most amazing people. If you want to be interviewed for the Year of Nose podcast, and you are a creative, a coach, entrepreneur, thought leader, uh, let me know. I want to have 50 of these conversations before October 2024. This is a labor of love, one that I adore and a masterclass in resilience. If you think this podcast is a good idea, then please give us a five-star review, like, follow, subscribe, and send to a friend. That would be the biggest gift from you to me. Thank you so much for continuing on our amazing journey here at the What She Said Project. And as always, be well. See you soon.